Hi there, and welcome to One Body, One Life, proudly sponsored by Jamae's Fine Foods. I'm Vicky Nguyen, and I'm on a personal mission to live to 120, and I would absolutely love to take you on this journey with me. This fortnightly show is focused on longevity and understanding how we can all live longer and stronger through diet, exercise, lifestyle, nutrition, and so on. Each episode, we will uncover tips and tricks to living your healthiest and happiest life for as long as physically possible. I'll be chatting to the experts as well as people who have defied the odds and explore various treatments and modalities to help us all reach optimal wellness. So today I talked to meditation master, teacher, author, and keynote speaker, Tom Cronin. Tom, in his his previous life, was a bonds and inflation swaps broker for 26 years. He was highly stressed by his career and found himself turning to meditation for help. Tom found that meditation not only helped, but it transformed his life. So much so that he left his career to establish the Stillness Project, a program aimed at helping others transform their lives just as he did by teaching the power of stillness and calm through deep meditation. Tom has a fervent passion and is fully committed to helping reduce people's stress and chaos in people's lives, as well as help to unlock our brilliance and inner stillness through meditation, peace, calm, and abundance is his thing. Welcome to the show, Tom. Hey, it's great to be here. Thanks for inviting me along. So tell us a bit more about you and the Stillness Project. Let's get a bit of a backstory. Oh, gosh. Well, I started quite a while ago where I was in finance as a broker, as you have just shared with everyone, and uh, I was on the trading room floor back in 1987. It was the year that Jordan Belfort started his career as the Wolf of Wall Street. Oh, wow. And it was the, and it was the same year that the film came out called Wall Street with yep. Gordon Gekko and Bud Fox. Wow. And so it was a time when greed was good, you know, it was a, yes. a fast time in the markets and it was pretty crazy. And so I entered into that that world uh, and before long, I swept along with the lifestyle. You know, I was doing everything that was happening in those markets in the late 80s, early 90s, lots of drugs, drinking, partying. It was kind of reckless abandon, really. It was like the wild west of finance world and there was yeah. no HR, there was regulation and it was just crazy times. It was exciting, but crazy times. So um, that was all well and good when I was quite young. But as time went on in that job and those patterns of behavior started to get entrenched into my existence, the karmic consequences of living that sort of lifestyle started to show up. And that's when things started to spiral down. And, you know, in my late 20s, things started to deteriorate quite rapidly where I was having a lot of extreme anxiety, panic attacks, insomnia, depression. Uh, eventually, this morphed into a full-blown, I guess, really was a clinical nervous breakdown. I was sent to doctors, psychiatrists, put on pharmaceutical drugs, and uh, you know things were pretty bad at that point. And uh, I was really, I had to take time off work, and I was really struggling with really seeing any light at the end of the tunnel at that point in my life. And it was at that time that uh, divine intervention, I discovered meditation and it was where everything started to change quite dramatically. I found that all of those symptoms of that stress response started to melt away and uh, the anxiety, the depression, the insomnia, which are all really what I learned many years later when I did a lot of study into the science of the body and the biochemistry was it was just a symptom of me being in a sympathetic nervous system state, a stress response state in my body. And once I got out of that stress response state, the parasympathetic nervous system, then everything started to normalize and optimize itself. And so I actually went back into my career after that transition for 16 more years. Wow. Yeah. And I, you know, became one of the leading brokers in Australia and eventually left that to teach meditation, run retreats, coach people. And that's where we set up the Stillness Project with a global movement to inspire a billion people to meditate daily. And part of that was another project inside that, which is called the Portal. 
and that's a film, a book, uh, a masterclass and an app that's all bundled in together to help humanity get through this very challenging time that we're going through. How interesting. And so during that time when you were, like you said you went back into it for 16 years after you had discovered meditation, did you notice that the meditation had helped you in your work as well? Uh, dramatically, yeah. You know, it's uh, on so many levels, it just wasn't funny. You know, I was sleeping better. I, all my addiction started to drop away. Um, you know, I started naturally as my body started to feel better, I started wanting to eat better. I started wanting to have more healthier choices into what I was doing. My clarity at work was better. I became more creative, ended up heading up the inflation swaps market. And yeah, just my, my career um, blossomed as a result of that. How incredible. So it had like complete ripple effect on your entire life. Yeah, absolutely. Every area of life. Amazing. So many people, I mean, obviously, including myself as well, I studied yoga 21 years ago and learned about the eight limbs of yoga and meditation. And a lot of people, like when you talk to them about meditation, they feel like it's some mysterious kind of strange experience where you need to be completely ready for and where some people are actually scared to meditate because they're not sure what they're going to come across or what it's meant to be like. So what? how was it for you? Well, look, you know, I, when I first heard about meditation, I, I knew it was something that I should look into. And I you know, I did a lot of research and admittedly a lot of the practices were a little bit esoteric for me yep. at that particular point. You know, I was a suit uh, going to a finance market. So, <laughs> um, you know, Tibetan bowls and chakras and all this <laughs> clearing stuff was a little bit fluid. But when I came across this one style, it was taught by neuroscientists. It was in a suit. It was a lot of science yep. behind it. It was very scientifically backed. It just really Ticked struck a chord with me. Yeah, it yep. all my boxes. So not that there's anything wrong with any of the practices and any of the modalities. It's just the one that resonated me was this one and that's what I really liked about it. it was it didn't have all of that sort of the woo-woo component to yes. it. It was just so practical. Suitable for the A-type personality. Yeah. <laughs> so was it foreign to you though? So you, you obviously selected the, the right style that suited you and your values and what you could relate to. But how did you start out with your practice? Did you go to a center or what, like what was the, talk us through that initial journey? Yeah. So what had happened was I was, I was watching a TV show documentary about a property developer Yep. And the whole story was about him and his success. There's a guy called Bruno Grollo in Melbourne. Yeah, and yeah. Yep. there was a tiny slither of that story, like literally just two, three, five minutes of it, that talked about how he used meditation. And there was a scene of him sitting in a chair in a room in a suit with his eyes closed meditating. And wow. at this point, I was like at my lowest point in my life. But that vision was like a catalyst for change for me. It was like, a, it was like an epiphany of, wow, that's exactly what I need. So... It was really that that day, that moment that I pulled out the Yellow Pages phone book from, yeah. you know, people, probably the young audience wouldn't have a clue what I'm talking about. <laughs> There's a book that we used to use to find, you know, companies. And I opened it up to M and I still distinctly can remember the visual of scrolling down to M for meditation. And there was all these different meditation centers in my area. Yes. And this one was actually bolded in red. Yep. Because you could actually pay a premium yes, to get your company thing. highlighted, right? <laughs> That's right. And so uh, it, it had it had transcendental meditation, Paddington. I think it was Wallara was the address. Yeah. And I remembered the, the this idea of because oh, I I love doing drugs. You know, I love particularly yes. and, you know this whole idea of getting out of it and transcending reality. And so when I saw that word transcending, it really triggered something in me, and I thought that what I want to explore. And so I, I rang them up and organized to go to an intro talk and then they did the intro talk and it was just exactly what I needed to hear. And then I started to learn. It was over four sessions over one week from Tuesday through to Friday yeah. that I learned to actually meditate using that technique with a, with a teacher. Amazing. And did you struggle with it initially? No, that was the beauty of it. You know, people say, oh, you know, it's going to take a while. It's going to be hard at first. This is 
why I choose to teach this practice and why I've used it for 25 years is because it's just to close your eyes and start repeating this sound. It was just so easy. And the experience is so deep quite early on. So uh, it's not that it's difficult. It's just it dif- depends on the technique that you're using, whether it's difficult or not. And did you find you were using a different level of discipline compared to what you required in your day-to-day job? To you know, this is the thing what I find with the word discipline. Discipline implies doing something we don't want to do, but doing it because we should do it. Right. And one of the things that I really found profound about this technique was that the biochemical change that happens quite quickly in the body, literally within minutes of you doing this particular style of meditation and a lot of other meditation techniques as well, admittedly, is that when it moves you very quickly out of sympathetic nervous system state, which is reducing cortisol, adrenaline, norepinephrine, and puts you into parasympathetic, which increases melatonin, serotonin, oxytocin, the blitz chemicals that start to seep into your body are quite beautiful and, and, and elevating. So it wasn't that it required discipline because everything that I was doing in my life was to seek fulfillment and pleasure and charm. And it's just that I was paying a big price for those actions, you know, staying in a nightclub till four in the morning doing drugs. And that wasn't, you know, a very long-term fulfilling proposition. However, this was a very charming proposition because A, I felt good while I was doing it and I felt really good after I'd done it. So that was easy for me to do it in my day. Yeah. Can totally relate. I mean, maybe it's a good time now to start talking about what are what is the type of meditation that you teach and and the differences, like the different types. Because obviously, there's so many different types. I remember when I was studying, you know, there's the mantra meditation, there's a yantra where you focus on a, an image, and there's a japa, the repetition, and all those things. So, talk about your style and the other styles that are available to people. Yeah, the style I I use and teach uh, is primarily called transcendental meditation or Vedic meditation, and there's also um, primordial sound technique or I know the art of living is a a very similar practice as well. So this is where we use a what's called a a beige mantra. It's a particular mantra as opposed to simple mantra meditation. It's a particular mantra that enables the mind to go beyond the world of form, that is beyond thinking, beyond feeling and beyond duality. And that's what we call to transcend. To transcend means to go beyond. So you've gone beyond the future and past, which is keeping us in that stress response. It goes beyond the uh, this experience of you being contained and limited by a physical form and physical structure, which we primarily identify as ourself, which is our body. And we go beyond even the thinking process. So that means that the mind is conscious and awake, yet there's no thought. Yes. And that's a profoundly deep state of physiological rest that happens in the body. So that's what we call a transcending style meditation. Now, how it differs from other meditations, and we've got what I like to do is pull all of those thousands of different techniques into four uh, types of buckets. You've got the transcending style meditations, which are the ones we just talked about. Mm-hmm. You've got the focus or concentration meditations. That's the yantra where we're focusing on the breath or the third eye or an image or a candle. Yep. And we're trying to force the mind to do something it doesn't want to do. This is very much the antithesis of the mind's nature yes. to focus on one thing. So there will be some friction. There'll be some discomfort. It'll be uncomfortable. And that's when we need discipline. Um, and so therefore, if it's uncomfortable and if there's tension and friction, it may be a little bit difficult to sustain, but it's a very good practice. So not to discredit, it's a very powerful and beautiful practice. Then we've got the contemplation meditations, which will be like listening to a guided meditation, taking you down a riverbed or your chakras or um, yep. some gratitude or intentions or visualizations. Now, these are beautiful meditations. I still do them on a regular basis, on a daily basis, which is using my mind to circumnavigate and create 
my future reality. Beautiful. Uh, however, with a contemplation meditation, we are in the realm of thought and we are in the realm of duality, which is me thinking about something. So that keeps us kept in the container or the vessel of the ego to some yeah. respect because yeah. it's the ego that's looking to create an outcome. Uh, and then we've got finally other things like chanting meditations where you might be chanting, uh, you know, some mantras out loud in a group like Kirtan or up to yoga and things like that. So just um, in regards to the, so the second one you mentioned, what was the title of that group that you labeled? Concentration. Concentration, so, yeah. I mean, there's so many different styles and, and like you said, like when you look through the yellow pages way back then. Um, so is it, for, is it a matter of just like trying different ones to see what works best for the individual? Yeah, you know, you can shop around and that's what I did. You know, I did my own research. Firstly, you're going to find a technique that is relevant for you and one that you find is, uh, is, is one that you can sustain on a regular basis. If you find that it's just not something you actually – want to incorporate in your day, then you might want to start exploring um, why that is and what you're doing with your time and what, what that practice is like. Yep. Um, so there's different techniques and then within the different techniques, there's different teachers. You know, you might not resonate with one teacher. You might resonate with another teacher, you might a female teacher instead of a male teacher. Yes. You might want a teacher in that particular tradition to feel a bit more corporate or a little bit more, um, I'm trying to find a better word than woo-woo, but, you know, a little bit yeah. more sort of spiritual. So um, it's about really just finding within your heart the way to go to enable you to not get so caught up in the busyness and stimulus of daily life and yep. have some time out each day. We all need it. We all need it so much. And um, personally, myself, I've experienced all those different types of meditation. And um, I won't say that I do it religiously or have done. When I taught yoga for 15 years full time, I did it more regularly. But for me, I find that, um, you know, I think different stages of your life as well permit and it just feels easier to do a different, like at the moment, for example, like I feel like I'm doing a bit more of a concentration style meditation. So I feel mm -hmm. like it kind of it wavers, but at least I feel like I'm doing something. So I know you messaged me the other day saying, what are you doing for stillness? I'm like, mm, stillness? Not necessarily doing stillness as such, <laughs> but active meditation, like running for me is like a way of meditating, really. For me, it's like getting in the zone. And I remember learning years and years ago, like meditation is the thought between, the gap between thoughts rather. That space between each thought is that that blissful, you know, that sweet spot, which is where you kind of want to get to. Um, and also that doing 15 minutes of meditation is equivalent to about eight hours of sleep. Is that true? Oh, look at me. You know, some of these stats can get a little bit distorted at times. Uh, uh, from what I've heard, 20 minutes of meditation can be equivalent of, of four hours worth of sleep if it's really deep. And, you know, some afternoons where I find is a really nice time to meditate for sort of t between two and four. When yeah. we're sort of hitting that circadian dip in the day, that's a really nice time. Uh, nice. I, I like to meditate then. And what I'll find is that I'll generally go quite deep. And it'll be a very rejuvenating, replenishing, supercharged. It's like the battery on your phone that is getting down into the red zone and you just plug it in yep. and then you find that your battery supercharges as a result of that. So um, for me, it is generally, you know, probably equivalent to three, four hours worth of sleep when I have a deep 20-minute meditation. Amazing. And as we know, I mean, we learned recently that downshifting, like I interviewed Nick Butner from the Blue Zones and he spoke about the importance of downshifting, which is like learning to relax essentially and understanding the importance of that. Do you find that meditating is an effective way to downshift or does it energize or does it again just depend on the time of day that you're doing it? 
Yeah, it really does depend on the time of day. You know, sometimes my morning meditations uh, can be very enlivening and, uh, you know, activating. And other times you can sort of be kind of almost wiped out because you've just taken all the cortisol out of the system, the adrenaline out of the system. You've released the melatonin if there's yep. a lot of fatigue in the body. And then, you know, you're going to have this residual melatonin um, biochemical in the body, which is going to leave you in a, in a state of tiredness, which is actually what you need to feel because you're probably tired. Yes, and so yeah, yeah. that fatigue gets masked a lot by a lot of the adrenaline that we have in our body. And so sometimes, yeah, you can have that sort of uh, that downshift that can happen for sure. Yeah, interesting. So let's talk about the benefits a little bit. So obviously for you, like you noticed the benefits straight away because you were living such a fast-paced kind of chaotic life in a sense. But how has it played a role in your overall like mind control, emotional control and overall happiness? Well, two, twofold. One is uh, on that physiological biochemical level, which your, your body just starts to naturally optimize. I mean, there's a profound intelligence within the body, and it's unfortunate that our leading politicians and health experts have not mentioned this at all during the entire eight months of COVID, that yes. we have within us this profound intelligence and immune system that is incredibly powerful at optimizing the body to a very high level. What meditation does is that it allows the body to at a cellular level, start to optimize itself and rebuild itself. It's quite powerful. But what we need to do is create the conducive environment for that to happen. So if we're in a hyper-stimulated state, and if we look at the third law of thermodynamics that states as excitation occurs, disorder increases. Yes. So having a hyper-stimulated body, lots of nervous system activation, lots of mental activity, lots of physiological activity, and not enough of that downtime to really allow a profoundly deep state of rest to activate that healing intelligence in the body that we're going to be struggling to have our optimal experience. So for me, what I found was a reversal of my aging process. Uh, Ooh, this was all this biochemically nice. and, uh, and biologically tested. At the age of 29 prior to meditation, my biological age was 37. Right. So I was much, much older than I should have been at 29. Yeah. But at the age of after meditating for 13 years every day and doing a number of retreats, my biological age was 34. Oh, I so, love that. And that's really just <laughs> a simple function of wear and tear. You know, this yeah. is our body's natural ability to, um, you know, not to be as old as our chronological age, but as old as our body is, is responding to daily demands. Yes. And yeah. so if we reduce that stress response, then we're going to reduce the aging process. Absolutely. So that was the big thing. Um, and then from there, you know, the, the other thing that was a major benefit and why I find that transcending meditation is so powerful is because it gives us the ability to connect with consciousness itself yep. rather than the mind. So we have a mind which is a coded software yes. that operates in a particular pattern, a particular right. um, program. And that program isn't your program. It's actually your parents and your grandparents and your great-grandparents. And it's your society's program. Yes. And about 5 to 10% of that program might be yours, but about 95% of it is society's program. Wow. And so we operate with this coded software and that keeps us in this recurring pattern of whatever we're in, possibly self-sabotage, self-doubt, unworthiness, uh, all sorts of things. Yep. It could be on the other end of the spectrum, which is being full of hubris and too proud and all sorts of things. So what meditation does when we transcend is it enables us to access the conscious observer that can watch our thinking process and then from that level of awareness, now we have this dualistic approach of watching our thoughts from consciousness itself and then starting to create 
and recode the software so that it's like putting an upgrade into the software system. Mm, Amazing. We all need it. So what about, like, did you find with yourself, like when you became a lot more conscious and, I don't know, did you cull a few things or people or do massive changes outside of not just your own mind and body but within your life as a whole? Absolutely. And this is why, you know, with this particular practice, we recommend and we offer ongoing support with our students. So all of my students that do my program have access to me on a Monday night uh, or Monday morning. We do alternate Zoom calls where people can meditate together, ask questions. You know, I have coaching programs. We have retreats where there's this ability to support the student through the change that's going to happen. And it will happen because part of it is vibrational. When you start to have higher sort of elevated feelings in your body, that is you feel lighter and happier and more joyful, then the things that you naturally gravitate to that you were gravitating to when you're stressed, fearful, angry, apathetic, shameful, then you're going to find that the people you hang around, the choices you make, the environments you want to operate in, the things you want to put in your body are all going to start to change as the alignment starts to change uh, to a different vibration. So Amazing. this is it's like an entire recalibration, isn't it? It, it? it can be, yeah. And, and you know, it, it can be quite confronting and challenging as well. So it does need some support and it does need some guidance around it and does need some awareness around it because if you're going to start to meditate, absolutely, uh, you know, your circle of friends could change. Um, your work environment could could possibly change. You know where you live could possibly change, all because you want it to. But just you know, it does come with some some things that you need to be aware of. Yeah, that's amazing, and it's great that you offer the support program where people can reach out to you if, if they need that support, and you hold their hand through the, the journey, which is amazing. How long should people, when when you're starting out, for example, like what what's your recommendation? Well, you know, I've, I've been invited to. Uh, do a guided meditation at a large conference very soon with one of Australia's largest companies and they want me to do a three-minute meditation. Yep. Now, look, that, that's going to be a, a nice novelty Yes. and it might have a, a very minor impact, but it's not going to change anyone's life. So, that's right, yeah. Um, look, you, you can do one-minute meditations, three minutes, and people say, you know, just start small. But I don't really recommend that myself personally. Uh, I find that if you're not going to get any benefits out of the experience, you're probably not going to keep doing it. So yes. if you start small and you don't Fair find enough. you get any benefits out of it, why are you going to keep doing it? Yeah, exactly. You, you most likely won't. So my recommendation is minimum 20 minutes. Yep. Awesome. Uh, and that's a, it's a long enough time to start to notice an impact and a change. Otherwise, if you're not going to get a change, like I said, it just doesn't validate the practice. It yes. doesn't validate the process. Yeah. And people saying they don't have time, it's such a lame excuse, isn't it, really, when you think about how many hours, particularly now, we've all got the time. Come on. Yeah. Look, I mean, time's a, time is an interesting concept when we say we haven't or have got enough time. It's really… Prioritizing it's it. Just, it's a preference, yeah. It's, yeah. it's how we're prioritizing or, or making preferences in our day. So we all have 24 hours and we all get to choose what we do with those 24 hours. And the thing for us to always remember, and this is something for the whole of society to, to sort of contemplate, is that if everything that we're doing is in the quest to be fulfilled, and that's really the ultimate, the ultimate driving force behind yes. all action, whether we're yes. cleaning the bathroom floor or doing yep. crack cocaine or yep. going to the grocery store, it's because it's going to in some way supposedly us. improve our life. However, if we have 40% of our society on pharmaceutical drugs because we're unhappy and anxious, mm. then we have to question is our priorities, uh, are our priorities, is our preferences, um, you know, allocated in the right direction? Exactly. Are, are we 
prioritizing things in the way we should be. And maybe we need to start reassessing what we're doing with our time. Absolutely. Exactly. So have there been studies to show and prove the benefits of meditation? Yeah. I mean, it's really, there's so many these days that, you know, you just have to type in studies meditation into Google and you'll find thousands of, uh, you know, incredible studies done in many universities and uh, centers around the world where you're going to get everything you need to solve that problem. Okay. And you, you did mention it earlier, but I, one of my questions was about, um, do you think meditation can assist with overall happiness, well-being and longevity? But you pretty much answered that when you spoke about your biological test. <laughs> yeah. You know, it, it, you just type in uh, Google Telemarie's meditation. And, you know, what we find is that Telemarie's, which is part of our, uh, you know, I can't remember the, the actual science behind it. I think it's a protein. Um, but we find that we get this increase in um, this sort of response in the Telemarie's. Uh, which is, is really just scientifically proving that, that when we meditate, we actually reverse the aging process and we yeah, slow right. that down. So, um, you know, there's a lot of science behind that and it's just um, you can do your own science by doing a biological age test before you start meditating, then start meditating twice a day um, and, you know, do a biological age test in five years' time or ten years' time and you'll find that most likely, as there was for me, quite a significant shift had happened. Incredible. And in your experience, do you find that there are some common reasons why people turn to meditation? Yeah, there's definitely in today's world, in our current society, a lot of motivation to remove the pain point. And that current pain point is primarily insomnia and anxiety and depression. They're the main three catalysts of why people are coming to me. Very few people are starting off with their meditation journey and wanting to seek enlightenment. Yep. Most of them are coming because there's a, there's a problem that needs resolving. Uh, once they've been meditating for quite some time, then they start exploring uh, and the pain points, once that pain point's been removed because of the meditation, then they start wanting to go further down that rabbit hole to start inquiring more about um, advanced states of consciousness and enlightenment, but most of it's usually to help resolve a problem. Okay, interesting. I remember years ago um, when I was doing my teacher training, we were recommended not to teach um, people who suffer depression to meditate. Um, but what's your opinion on that? Can can you teach people who have, I mean, I, the definition of a sound mind is obviously there's so many variants in that, but can do you need to be of sound mind to meditate? Well, I was clinically diagnosed with depression and anxiety and had just gone through a clinical nervous breakdown and meditation literally was a game changer for me. Okay. And why that's the case is that it's so powerful at shifting our biochemistry. If, if, we're, if we're sitting on a sofa, and this is not to dismiss the importance of therapy and psychology, it's really critical we have people to talk to. Yeah. However, if it's not changing the biochemistry of our body from the stress response, that is sympathetic nervous system state because we're on a phone all day long, we're in meetings all day long, we're yes. screaming matches all day long, yep. we're running around getting from A to B, and we're not allowing the body to calm itself down and get out of the sympathetic nervous system state and into the parasympathetic nervous system state. Um, taking a tablet or uh, you know trying to sit on a sofa and talk to someone is going to be effective to some degree, but there is a much simpler solution to just get the body out of the biochemical situation that is producing high levels of cortisol, adrenaline, and norepinephrine yes. and no levels of serotonin and oxytocin. So if we're in a stress response state, the body's not going to produce the biochemicals we need to produce to feel happy. You can't feel happy while you're on a battlefield. Yeah, right. Uh, and that's the response the body's giving you, um, even though you're on a bus going to work because yep. you've got a deadline for a, a board meeting or something. So what we want to be able to do is sustain a deep level of restfulness 
that the parasympathetic nervous system response state during the day, regardless of what's going on around us. And then what will happen is our biochemistry will be much more balanced and sustained. And uh, to try to solve someone's state of depression um, without addressing that underlying issue is kind of like pushing shit uphill, to be honest with you. I think you can do it in tandem and it can be regulated and monitored, but I think it's really critical that to get a sane mind, meditation will play a much bigger role in that. Interesting. Do you think, this is just a side question, but when I think about, I mean, the amount of people that suffer stress, anxiety, depression in the Western world, the numbers are through the roof. But I often compare to when you go to places like third world countries where they're struggling to make ends meet and, you know, they've got all smiles on their faces and they've got such a beautiful sense of community and they don't seem to suffer. I mean, I don't know the stats, but they don't seem to suffer depression, anxiety the way we do in the West. Um, Do you think it's more of a first world problem, so to speak? You know, yeah. I mean, we've kind of created quite affluent lifestyles. And I think what happens when we start to normalize to our levels of affluence, we start to create more fastidious and busier types of experiences and busier lifestyles and have a certain sense of privilege about that. And that can lead to higher expectations about the life we should be having and it's degrees of refinement that ends up leading to more and more stresses. When you look at the simpler sort of existences around the world, um, there's a greater sense of community, and uh, and simplicity yes. in the way they live in their life. And I think possibly you might be right here if we did some studies, we might find that some of the wealthier suburbs and countries in the world probably may well have higher rates of depression and anxiety. Definitely. Yeah, it'd be interesting to st- definitely see the stats on that. So um, interesting one. Now talk about, let's talk about Vipassana because I know a lot of people who have done Vipassana, which is for, for people that don't know what it is, it's like literally like I think 10 days is the base. Is that the first starting point? I think it's 10 days of silence, which would probably drive me crazy. But um, I've heard it's very cathartic and a great way to really kind of detox the mind and de-weed the mind. And um, tell, tell us what your thoughts are on that. Yeah, the past is a beautiful practice, uh, a very powerful practice of resetting. Uh, it is a uh, derived from a uh, background of Buddhism. Yep. And uh, one thing that we do slightly different on our retreats uh, to the Pashna is recognize the, uh, the energy that gets stored in the body and how when we meditate, particularly for longer periods of time, and particularly in deeper states of meditation, the physical body uh, is looking to, like I said before, reorganize itself and optimize itself. So it's looking to purify and purge and release uh, these uh, stresses that are stuck in the body. And so what we incorporate in between all of our meditation experiences on our retreat each day uh, is a series of yoga asanas and breath work. Beautiful. So we'll do uh, yoga for about 20 minutes, 10 particular yoga postures. And this is partly to help open up the spine forward bends, back bends, twists, um, partly to release hip flexors and, and, um, and the, uh, the hamstrings, just shoulders, where we hold a lot of blocked energy. And this is stagnated energy that's kind of like dark mass that gets stuck in the body and that's, you know, sadness and fear and anger. And when we start to help the body facilitate the releasing of these through movement and through breath, then what we find is a much more powerful and dynamic clearing process. Without the movement component, it, it, can, it can drive you a little bit bonkers because there's no energetic, yeah. physiological expenditure yes. of that energy. Yep. Yep. So it's got nowhere to go. And that 
can, it, it's great if you're a Buddhist monk and you're meditating for long periods of time. If you're a bundle of nerves and a bag of stress and you go into that environment, you're literally going to probably run out the door screaming and shouting because your body's wanting to release it. Exactly. And so we, we incorporate things like movement. We have workshops. We have the process to enable and activate the, the body to let go of some of these stresses Amazing. Uh, through a lot of the things that happen in between our meditations. And that's the sole reason for the asanas, really. Like they were created to help the body sit in stillness without right. any discomforts, right? Because it's a whole chitta vritti narodaha, which means uh, yoga is a cessation of the modifications of the mind, which is basically finding that stillness. But if you've got agitations in the body, then that in turn impacts the mind. So it makes sense why you include that, which is fantastic. But do you think um, the like what are the key benefits obviously it's like a massive mental detox but would you recommend it or is it something that you'd recommend for people that have been doing meditation for a little while and then they can kind of up the ante a little with a 10-day silence retreat yeah i i think if someone would to ask me whether they should do it i would uh check in and ask them some questions about where they're at uh and you know possibly if they are quite um and have a lot of stress in their body and have not had any prior experience to meditation, it may do uh, be too confronting for them and it may uh, force them to reject any future exploration yes. into meditation. Yep. Uh, and that's not what we want people to go through. Uh, I know some friends of mine that went straight into the posture and they, they lasted two days, three days and walked out of there. Yes. So yep. what that does is it leaves this, a, a sense of failure in their mind for yes. their ego yep. and it leaves a sense of distaste around anything to do with meditation. Yes. And that's that's a shame because we want people to savour it and enjoy it and yep. relish it and look forward to it. So yes. yep. um, I think I would just do a little bit of assessment of that person before they were going to go on to that yep. experience. Yep. Fair enough, that makes sense. And I've always personally felt that it's really quite powerful that if you can get along with your day and manage the, the chaos, like kind of be the calm within the chaos, um, learning to control your mind and kind of focus your energy, I feel that that's a really powerful thing. Do you recommend that that is as good as meditating, like being able to be the stillness while you go about your day, if that makes sense? So with the practice of transcending meditation or Vedic meditation, primordial sound technique, that's a byproduct. Right. You doing that practice. As a result of you meditating regularly, morning yeah. and evening, you you spontaneously start to operate more from that conscious observer. Yes. And less from that disturbed egoic structure. Yeah. And so that allows you what we call moksha in yep. Sanskrit, M O K S H A. It's the freedom from the binding effect of life where you're in life but you're not influenced or affected yeah. by it. Yep kind of paying witness to it. Yeah, it's, it's it's such an amazing, you know, when you can and practice that equanimity of, you know, stepping back and slowing down your response and being present to each moment and how you feel and thoughts. And it's such a, um, yeah, I guess it's such, there's such a benefit to having that, you know, ability, I guess, in your day-to-day life. Um, and to also just to add to that, to not beat yourself up if you don't sustain that uh, immediately after meditating for three days, because uh, you know, I've been meditating for 25 years and sometimes I still get pulled into the story and yeah, there's yeah. still some disturbance or reaction. So, um, you know, it's, it's a really important thing for us to be kind and compassionate yes. to ourselves, um, you know, not expecting ourselves to be an enlightened monk from day one. 
we're human at the end of the day. We all have our moments, so that's okay. Yeah, totally. <laughs> um, so talk about Dharana and Dhyana. I know um, the eight limbs of yoga, you know, Ashtanga yoga, it's like the the pranayama, the, you know, the asanas, pranayama, niyamas, yamas and all that. And then the last couple are uh, Dharana, Dhyana and Samadhyaha, which is basically Dharana is about focusing the mind, Dhyana is about defocusing the mind, and then it's fun to make that, you know, moving towards that blissful state. So what about um, – Dharana, because I've always felt that like when you're in a focused state, like similar to what I mentioned before, you know, you're kind of in the zone, you're completely conscious. Is that not good enough? Do you still, I mean, you know, I mean, obviously you kind of answered it in a sense, like you've been doing meditation long enough and you kind of drop into that. But what are your thoughts? Yeah, it's it's something that is a really powerful part of the process. I think what it is, it's like the analogy I'd like to use for this is if you've got a wild um, bucking bronco horse that's been roaming out in the wilderness for you know five years and then you bring it into the corral and um, you know immediately it's not going to be very focused it's yes. going to be very difficult to um, to use as a a, a a beautiful you know horse to you know to do things you know to jump and to whatever you want to do with that um, it's going to be quite wild. And so having some form of practice around that initially will help bring about the ability to focus the mind more. Yes. So there's definitely this twofold process that I see. One okay. is the, the daily discipline and then the ability to use that uh, that vehicle, the mind, so separating the mind from you, your consciousness. Yep. And then there's a vehicle called the mind which you can then focus. And it's like a, uh, a magnifying glass when you sort of, Tweak it slightly if you want to get the sun rays through it to actually be very powerful and potent to actually burn, you know, start a fire with. Yeah, yeah. That, you know, that's what the mind can become. But I think having some practice around that, a meditation practice around that, and then being able to focus, it's very powerful. But yes. uh, the, the mind is an incredible tool. It's an incredible vehicle. Yep. And when we're able to pinpoint with accuracy its yep. focus, then you'll see remarkable results. Yeah, amazing, amazing. And do you think, like in your opinion, do you think meditation is the panacea for all ailments? No. Okay. Uh, I think it's a very powerful tool. I think it's a very important tool that, uh, you know, for me, the Stillness Project, the tagline is to inspire a billion people to meditate daily. I really feel one of the big issues we have in our world is a disconnect from our innate nature, our essential nature, which is uh, our, our... our presence, our awareness, our source energy. Um, and so not having access to that because of the distraction of being in the dualistic world, looking at the world outside of us, is, is going to be causing many, many problems and still does cause many, many problems in our planet. Um, so meditation is going to play a really critical role in bringing about greater balance, greater harmony. I think it's going to play a key role in it. But of course, there's so many other things that we have to take into account as well as, as, that are going to help us along the way. It's like diet has to be an important yes. part. Yep. Um, physical exercise has to be an important part. Clearing our mind out of toxic, um, you know, watching the news all day long or yes, mainstream yeah. media all day long, um, hanging around negative people that are, you know, just constantly trying to bring you down. So there's so many other things and we have to take a holistic approach to health and wellness, I think. And meditation yes. is just one of those components that can help with that. And what about as far as like the power of the mind, using the mind to help heal? Well, firstly, I'd come back to Dr. Bruce Lipton's quote, yep. who was a professor from Stanford University Medical School. And he said that 95% of all sickness is a product of stress. Right. So if we want to remove 95% of the world's sickness, rather than dosing ourselves up on pharmaceuticals, why don't we look at the cause of that 
stress. Yes, and yes. if we remove stress, then we remove 95% of the world's sickness. So yeah, yeah. Um, meditation helps reduce stress. Yep. And Perfect. the power of the mind also, um, you know, when the mind is calm, then the body's calm and the body's calm and starts to reorganize itself. So um, if, we, if we're talking about the focus of meditation, uh, sorry, the focus of the mind, I think that's a powerful thing as well. You know, we can definitely use our attention to bring about a change in our body. Amazing. And what about as far as positions are concerned? Is it lying down, sitting down, cross-legged? What's your recommendation? I think it would depend on the practice. Um, if it's yoga nidra, you know, they generally lie down. Yep. Uh, if it's Vedic meditation or transcendental meditation, Vipassana, most of them would be sitting upright. I'd recommend for the transcending meditations to be sitting in a comfortable chair with your back supported yes. and your feet on the ground. So generally how you'd sit most comfortably watching TV. Yeah. And then if it's a Vipassana style meditation from what I believe and it would always come down to what that instructions is for that particular tradition. Some recommend sitting cross-legged, some in mudras, some without a back supported. It's going to be different for each practice and different recommendations from different teachers. But if it's going to be the deep transcending meditations, I always teach my students just to sit comfortably in a chair. Nice. Awesome. And give us your top three tips for beginner meditators. Uh, find a teacher that's qualified to teach meditation. Yes. Number one. Yep. Uh, number two, follow the instructions because they're probably instructions that are very well tried and tested. Yes. And um, number three, don't expect the world to dramatically change overnight, but just enjoy the ongoing process of having a slow, shifting, evolving, yep. and improving experience of life itself. Amazing. And a question that I like to ask every guest is, what are your top three tips to living a longer, stronger, happier, healthier life? Meditate every day. (laughs) (laughs) Drink lots of water. Yep. uh, Eat healthily and go to bed early. Nice. Yep. Awesome. And tell us, um, Tom, how can people find you? I think the best place would go to tomcronin.com on the website and they'll be able to find me there and they'll also be able to get me at Instagram at tomcronin. Fantastic. And your um, your strapline you said was about getting, was it a million people a day to meditate? A billion people a, a day to meditate. A billion people. Have you reached that goal? No, no. Otherwise, I would have nothing left to do for the next 45 years <laughs> of my life. So uh, it's going to keep me going for a little while. We're yeah. going to help you get there. Thank you so much for your time. You've been amazing to chat to. Um, yeah, it's been very insightful. And I look forward to actually getting a little bit more, um, yeah, I guess, structure in my day to accommodate, you know, a good 20-minute focused meditation session for myself again. It's, um, yeah, it's something that I've kind of let, like I said, it kind of just let it be an incidental thing in my life. But, um, yeah, of, of late anyway. So, yeah, it's nice to kind of get that little of a boost from you. So thank you so much and um, have a wonderful afternoon. We appreciate your time greatly. Thank you. Pleasure. Great to be here. Thanks for inviting me along. Thanks so much for joining me today. I really hope you enjoyed this episode as much as I did. Don't forget to subscribe to this podcast and follow me on our YouTube channel, One Body, One Life, to see more inspirational videos to help you reach optimal wellness and longevity. But until next time, don't forget, you've got to nourish to flourish.